Hey everyone, C-Note here, and welcome to Super Myers-Briggs Turbo EX, the show that is always asking you, are you my type? Today on the show, I wanted to talk about romantic relationships in, regard, in, in relation to Myers-Briggs typology. And a lot of people are using typology to navigate the relationship field. They're trying to find people who are similar to their type or uh, people who seem to complement their type or fit within a certain type of people because they have potentially stereotyped or created uh, some sort of um, prejudice or bias against a particular type and assume that one experience with one type is going to equate other experiences. So we're going to talk about um, sort of navigate that, navigating that field, how you should be thinking about this as you approach uh, relationships and using Myers-Briggs in relationships, strengthening an existing relationship, and, um, you know, kind of going into the functions a little bit to see how some people can complement one another. So let's hit the button and do the thing. Let's go. All right, so welcome to the show. Hope you guys are doing well. Hope everything is going well for you. Hopefully you're learning and developing and doing all sorts of new things. Uh, I'm sure you've came to this show because you're interested about uh, the relationship aspect specifically. Uh, relationships are a huge, huge sort of field that people are using Myers-Briggs for. Uh, it kind of came into fruition through um, the, the Myers-Briggs usage in sort of the corporate world, but soon as the public got wind of it, they started to use it as a means to try to connect with each other in relationship kind of ways. And unfortunately, there are a ton of stereotypes that come out as a result of people diving into the Myers-Briggs space. Uh, I've I've been trying to find different groups on Facebook that are doing something interesting with Myers-Briggs. And um, there certainly have been a few, but the ones that I've connected to are ones that are typically either trying to find some sort of way to justify a sort of prejudice that they have towards a certain personality type or doing something superficial, like here's a selfie of me, guess my personality type. It's it's kind of strange. <laughs> There's a lot of top level stuff. And really I'm not interested in all of that top level stuff. I'm interested in taking you from that top level base level sort of uh, cliche understanding of Myers-Briggs and really diving deep with you to understand how it's actually useful for your life and not just some fun game. You know, it's a lot of people equate it to astrology or some sort of like test on Facebook where you try to find out what kind of potato you are. Like it's not the same even remotely. There are deep neuroses going on that uh, a deep, um, connections and and functions and cognitive wiring that we can kind of dive into and and understand about one another. And I think one of the first and most important aspects of this relationship conversation is really understanding that building these kinds of relationships is all about understanding that these Myers-Briggs types will show up in different people in different ways, right? That these base level of cognitive functions are a way for us to understand what was essentially given to us by nature, 
you know, whether that's God or the universe or whatever you believe in that will help you understand that a little bit better is essentially whatever nature gave us our, our natural brain wiring. And you can see that in kids, kids definitely exhibit very specific uh, preferences for the way that they like to go about the world. You know, um, uh, Molly, my girlfriend, her daughter goes through a lot of extroverted thinking sort of uh, behaviors where she's very stark, very matter of fact, and um, wants to kind of structureize things. <laughs> it's really fascinating and uh, really loves organization of things into like colors and, and um, effectiveness and stuff like that. And she's just kind of a really fascinating um, example. Uh, to see how she goes through life. She's going to be a really interesting teenager. That's for sure. She's only six. And um, while that's pretty young to type certain types, but, but since she's such an extrovert, it's really easy to see that pretty quickly. And um, it certainly helps to know that for her growth, but even her as a, as a obvious extroverted thinker, she's going to be having uh, different things that she's affected by as she goes through life. And we have all of these different things that we're affected by as we go through life. We're affected by the way our parents treat us, the way our teachers treat us, what they teach us, how we are affected by our sort of immediate learning ground and friends and our, you know, the way the social environment is, uh, technology, the state of it, uh, the things that we share, the things that we you know, the way that our brains are naturally wired in terms of mental health as well. Sometimes that has a major effect on the way that we interact with the world or the experiences that we've had. You know, I, I'm a firm believer that no one is born evil, right? And I think the Myers-Briggs types certainly uh, evil or neurotic or like negative in any kind of way, right? None of the functions are an inherently negative thing. And if everyone is one of the 16 personality types, then they are, you know, these, these are objective ways of thinking about human beings, right? So a lot of the times we will associate our own negative emotional experiences of a certain personality type and assume that personality types are always going to be this way. You know, you might have a bad experience with a, an unhealthy INFJ, for example, and assume that any other INFJ you come across is going to exhibit those same traits. There are certainly going to be people who are exhibiting those unhealthy versions of those traits, but they are going to have a different upbringing. They're going to be a complete, di completely different person. Because as much as we have 16 personalities that we're all kind of like having a base level of, we are stacking biases on top of that. You know, all the things that I was just listing, you know, the way that our parents treat us and teach us and things like that. And sometimes we have to adapt to survive. So that means that if you put a bunch of ENTPs into a room, not only are they going to be playing pranks on each other, but they're going to be, <laughs> they're going to be all different, unique individuals. They're going to have their own stories to tell. They might tell those stories in a similar way and, um, you know, have certain kind of uh, uh, cognitive preferences for the way they go about things. They might be all over the place, but they may also be, uh, they're also going to have their own unique stories to tell. You know, they're individuals. They're going to have an individual fingerprint, right? So having a personality type is the difference between having, you know, sharing brown hair with other parts of the of society but your own fingerprint is still your unique sense of identity and your fingerprint is all of your personal experiences everything that you've amassed and encompassed into your world into your life as you've grown and developed 
So it's important to consider that not only within yourself, because if we're going out and looking for a partner, someone to mate with, someone to spend time with, to share all sorts of experiences with, we want them to respect us for who we are, right? We wouldn't want them to put us into a into a box by assuming that because I'm an INTP, I'm going to exhibit all sorts of awkward INTP behaviors. I am definitely a um, much more of a natural in the moment kind of extrovert than a lot of INTPs can be. You know, I can be quiet and awkward, of course. I'm a heavy introvert. But when I'm in sales mode and podcast mode, like you'd barely be able to tell other than the my the monotone nature of my voice. And but but because I can get a little bit animated, uh, it's it's easy to think that I could be someone that is just like, wow, I wouldn't have been able to tell you were an INTP, right? So you know, I wouldn't want someone to assume that I'm a certain type of INTP, basically, right? So we have different phases of development, different styles of growth. And it's important to make sure that you're not putting prejudice on different types based on what you think a certain type is or should be. Now, there are certain things that can definitely help you to evaluate what someone is likely to be like, you know, an introvert versus extrovert is a certainly, is certainly a, um, a benefit of knowledge going into a date or something to know, you know, what this person's style of being is, right? And as you're going through a relationship, if you're an introvert versus an extrovert, you're going to understand that you might need certain levels of energy or your partner needs certain levels of uh, uh, um, uh, engagement with people or lack thereof in order to feel a greater sense of energy. And there's going to be a push and pull in that. Um, an episode that I listened to this morning of Personality Hacker was talking all about a was actually a personal experience between an INFJ and an ESTJ uh, in a relationship together, and how they are loving and caring and really are in in an in tune in a lot of ways, but have very clear disparate things that that make them different. But it hasn't stopped them from being together. They've been together for eleven years and they have three kids. Um, you know, an INFJ needs a lot of energy or a lot of space to re to recoup some energy. And the ESTJ kind of is going through a lot of the motions and, you know, they, they're typically seeing their, their version of making sure someone's needs are met are, you know, checking things off of lists and making sure that everything's in order and not typically unless they're developed checking in emotionally. Right. And it becomes a challenge because a lot of these articles you see online, a lot of discussions about Myers Briggs happens to live within the realm of, you know, cliches because a lot of people live within that. Right. But there are also individual perspectives that lead to certain things. Within this conversation I was listening to, the ESTJ was not developing her co pilot process enough. So she was kind of going through the world. Um, and going through her day at work, like constantly in go, go, go mode. And by the time she got home, she was not prepared or ready to engage with her husband who was ready to kind of check in with her emotionally. And she just didn't want to, she just wanted to kind of go through the motions and, um, you know, not, not engage in any sort of meaningful way. And really they, they have built complementary understandings of each other's strengths and needs and differences. And, um, you know, that, that essentially is what's helping them to grow as a partnership. So it's important to consider when you're both looking for a date and um, 
currently dating someone that there are opportunities for growth that extend beyond Myers-Briggs. I say it a million times that Myers-Briggs is not about putting someone in a box. It's about understanding your starting point, the, 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 the goal line, the starting point. So you can know where the goal line is for you as an individual, right? So that you can understand the path to personal development, because if you don't understand your personality type, then you're not going to be able to help yourself or your partner. Um, be able to grow as easily. I think it's a great point of data to be able to look and say like, and have a communication point, a method of communication to understand with one another, like how to address certain issues saying like, okay, well, you need to slow down a little bit. You need to get into your co-pilot. You need to breathe. You need to go take a walk. You need to be by yourself for a little while, something like that. Right. And for me, you know, as an INTP, I need to get into my co-pilot as by like, being a little bit more extroverted and going out and playing into the world and experiencing new things and gathering new data that way. Right. So for people are developing and growing in all sorts of different ways. You may have found someone who has already developed that. You may have someone found someone who is really great and hasn't yet developed that. Um, and they're going to show that in different sorts of ways. But again, like the flavor of someone's personality also comes from the things that they've experienced. So the stories they'll be able to tell you, the jokes that they can make, um, the way that you can connect at the end of the day, you know, the way that you can bring a sense of, of nurturing and reality to each other's lives. Right. That's like kind of the intuitive versus sensor dichotomy is like the intuitive is going to be playing with more disparate ideas and, um, connections and things that are just going to be, um, you know, playing with, uh, with, um, uh, uh, idealism and sort of just kind of, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of a word and I keep losing it, but trying to play with this notion of interconnected ideas and such, essentially things that are just kind of speculative, speculative. That's the word I'm looking for. Speculating on all, all sorts of um, possibilities. Whereas a sensor is going to be living in the sense of reality. This is what is, this is what's proven. This is what we need to do. You know, being a little bit more grounded in what, you know, what, what is, expected of them in reality. You know, they're going to be better with like government paperwork and handling all sorts of, you know, mundane reality things. Right. So that complementary situation is, it can be really nice for some people because some intuitives can very much get on their high horse of ideology and feel like they shouldn't have a sensor in their life. And sometimes, um, you know, sensors will do the same thing. But then there are others that have had a sensor intuitive relationship where they complement each other so well and the intuitive learns so much from the sensor and vice versa. Right. Um, I've had two sensor relationships in my past and, uh, one, I was too young to kind of gain the benefits of that. <laughs> the other, um, certainly was, uh, I was married to one and, uh, she is very in tune with like, you know, getting stuff done. She's an ISFJ. So she's really great at like ascending her through the ranks at her job and she gets things done quickly. And she's really good at getting paperwork done and like the things that are important. And I'm just like, I don't care about this. <laughs> and, you know, so that was definitely a challenge in our relationship. So, um, you know, and I'm, I'm with another intuitive now, which makes for a really great sense of conversation. We have a lot of dreaming, a lot of plans, a lot of, um, you know, speculation and talk about what's going on in the world. And, and it's very, um, cognitively satisfying, 
But at the same time, we struggle with day-to-day things. <laughs> you know, we struggle with money. We're struggling with, we both have child support to pay. We're struggling with handling all of that paperwork and stuff. I've got piles of paperwork on my desk because I just, ugh, I'm just pushing it aside. I don't want to deal with it. Um, so it, it becomes a challenge for sure. Um, when you have two intuitives or two sensors, whereas two sensors together might not, you know, spend as much time, um, you know, playing with bigger ideas and they could just kind of go through the motions and life kind of can pass them by a little bit. Right. So that can be uh, certainly a challenge. And again, it's not a, it's not a way to, but it's important to make sure that, that understanding that these things are, there's no exclusivity to whether or not intuitives and sensors work together or, you know, as contrasts essentially. Right. So there's no excuse to make any kind of prejudice. You know, I think we're going to be drawn towards one type or another, depending on our upbringing, the things that we've experienced as well. You know, for me, I've grew up in a very sensor world. So I think being around more intuitives has made more sense for me. I've been wanting to kind of allow myself to grow intuitively. You know, Molly leads with an extroverted intuitive, um, with extroverted intuition. So she's really good for my growth in that sense. You know, she kind of creates a lot of connections for me. She's really good at getting me out into the world. And um, that's not something that has been, you know, very naturally good for me. So she's been helpful for me to get out of that shell and do those things. Um, And I've been stuck in that sensor world for very, very, so very long that, um, I can kind of manage some of those sensor things, but uh, I'm just kind of over it. Right. So uh, I can certainly connect with a lot of sensors and um, you know, ESFPs are some of my favorite people. Um, But you know, it's a, it's a challenge to understand how that fits within you. Right. And making sure that you're not looking on someone's profile and saying, Oh, they're an ISTP. I don't want to get anywhere near them. (laughs) Right. Uh, you know, that's not fair. There are certainly different people of different kinds of personalities in different, certainly different ways, uh, you know, navigating the world and stuff. And the same goes for the thinking feeling dynamic. You know, your, your, you know, thinkers and feelers are going to be, you know, in a lot of cliche ways, yes, they, they embody a lot of those behaviors of thinkers sometimes being a little bit too cold and feelers being a little bit wishy-washy or being, um, you know, too emotionally focused in a way that can seem uh, irrational to thinker types. But again, d- depending on your different stage of development, you know, thinkers can be quite emotionally in tune and feelers can be quite intelligent uh, in, in the traditional thinking kind of sense. So again, those assumptions just don't always work. And, you know, judging versus perceiver in terms of um, the cliche perspective is that judges are more put together and perceivers are not. But ultimately, it's it's the way that they choose to show their organization to the world, right? The way that the being a little bit more put together or, you know, what do they favor when they're in the outside world? So judges will, you know, show their decision-making process to the outside world. They'll show themselves put together because they're showing decisions that they've made and they're more prepared. They are more ready to go out into the outside world. And that is often, that is in service for them to be a little bit more, um, improv improvisational, uh, internally, right? So that they can make adjustments 
with their internal introverted world, or they can make adjustments when they're on their own and uh, not feel like they're, they're stifled by organization, right? They're, they're prepared so that they can be less prepared uh, on their own. And the vice versa is true. You know, perceivers are, are seen as lazy, but essentially they are being seen. They're, they're a little bit more carefree because they're more organized internally. Right. And I certainly feel that way. And that's something I've seen between Molly and I is that we are more organized internally. We kind of have a path and a plan when we do things, but when we're out into the world, we're like, yeah, whatever, we're cool. We're ready to go. We have a, cause we have a foundation that is solid and we feel like, you know, we're, we're down to do whatever we can do anything. So, you know, that's the nice thing. And sometimes having a judger in your life, if you're a perceiver kind of can help you be a little bit more put together, you know, again, with my marriage to an ISFJ, she kind of helped me um, be a little bit more physically put together. You know, there was just kind of like a little bit more pressure uh, to, to look better, <laughs> you know, to dress better, stuff like that. And um, while, you know, over time that becomes like a, okay, just back off kind of thing. Uh, it certainly feels good to be, you know, to, to have a little bit of a push, right. To, to, to feel better about yourself, to look good and all that stuff. So as, as a perceiver, it can be a challenge, um, to be a little bit more put together, but I think perceivers also allow judges to kind of loosen up a little bit, right? So there's benefits to the conflict and contrast, which is what I'm basically trying to say here, right? So depending on what kind of sensor you are, what kind of intuitive you are, introvert or extrovert, what kind of thinker and what kind of feeler you are, it's going to, you're going to bring different things to the relationship, right? So as an INTP, I've been with an ENTJ and that was a really great relationship. Um, her and I, we had uh, uh, a lot of intuitive thinking um, conversations that were very enlightening and fun and um you know, she had just like an extroverted energy that I couldn't naturally bring to the relationship that certainly helped with, uh, you know, discussing things. But certainly changes happened pretty quickly <laughs> towards the end of that relationship or or decisions would be made um, kind of almost without notice. It was it was kind of strange. So but there is, um, you know, there are challenges with every relationship, which is the point here. And. It's really the, the point, the main point is that when you're getting into a relationship, Myers-Briggs is not an excuse to make any kind of prejudice. Um, I certainly, if I was using Myers-Briggs to help me find a partner, I probably wouldn't have chosen ENFP, right? Uh, I probably wouldn't have chosen a feeling type. Um, but I also realized that being with a feeling type has shown me the value of introverted feeling. Um, it can sometimes be frustrating. Absolutely. We have frustrations with each other. We talk through things, um, but we're very open. And because we're intuitives, like we don't need to kind of tailor our conversation to each other. We can find ways to make our points very clear while still kind of dancing around and bouncing around different ideas. Like I don't have to censorize myself basically. Right. <laughs> and, um, you know, that can be a challenge when you're having an argument or a conversation with a sensor. You need kind of single statements, one things at a time, very linear. And if you're willing and able to do that, that can make for a really great conversation and a really great relationship. But um, that can be a real challenge in a relationship as well. So I think Myers-Briggs has the most benefit when you're 
in a relationship. You know, you're just met someone even, and you're re- you're dating them for like two weeks, and you're like, okay, I want to get to know the core of this person. And then you start to learn, you know, the biases and the things that they're presenting and who they are. And then you start to learn their personality type. They take the test or they get coaching from someone like me, and they get a little bit more of an understanding of who they are and you get to understand who they are. And that's the beauty of it. You get to learn more about this person. You get to connect with them. You get to be, you know, really one-on-one with them in a way that you wouldn't otherwise, you know, you like we even forget the baseline understanding of ourselves a lot of the time. And to have someone else see that in such intense depth is fantastic. You know, uh, that's what I love about Molly. I even had a time recently where we were at a photography show where I had my, my photos up for the first time. And one of the guests that we were talking to really, (laughs) really nailed my personality type just by commenting on what they saw in the photos. And they were like, you know, you really love detail, but you are also very playful. And I'm like, ah, that's me. Yay. (laughs) You know, it's very satisfying to have people like kind of fully understand you. And I know that's like kind of vague and really simple statements about TI and NE, but you know, it made me happy. It's just nice when you can fully project who you are and be comfortable projecting that and being with someone being able to project that with them and have them project who they actually are to you. And you can help each other grow and be there for one another. It's an amazing experience and it really brings a depth to personal relationships that otherwise wouldn't exist without this. Right. I mean, you could get to that place, but it's going to have different language. It's going to be a different thing altogether. And being able to go through this path of learning Myers-Briggs together, going through my training course at supermbti.training, which is free, by the way, you go through that training course and you learn more about Myers-Briggs. You learn about the possibilities of it, as opposed to just these baseline astrology related, like, you know, what kind of potato you are kind of things and get to it and understand that it's a science. It is a it is psychology. It is a person. It is who you are. It is your brain wiring. This is not made up stuff. You know, this, this is, this is the real deal way to connect with people and understand them. Uh, and I've been using it for my clients too, which we'll talk about in other episodes. Um, I've been using it as a way to help my clients when they're stuck in a rut to, you know, to think about what their next steps are. Typically that is your second function, which I've been, which I talked about in the last episode. So, you know, it's a real big deal to be able to break down these things, be able to talk about it and help your partner and help yourself. So um, hopefully that helped you understand a little bit about Myers-Briggs. You know, just don't use it as a way to pre- be prejudiced towards someone. Um, you know, use it as a means to learn like, oh, okay, she's an ENTJ. So this means that she's going to like this sort of thing and this sort of thing. But I'd like to confirm that and talk to her. And she may, you know, ask you know, one of the things you could do also is combine someone's personality type with understanding their love languages, like asking them what their love languages are or doing the test together. That's pretty fun. And seeing what they appreciate, you know, some types are going to like physical touch. They're going to like gifts, um, gifts, not gifts as in gifs, or if you're that kind of jerk. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, other, other different things. I forget what the other, um, love languages are, but it's fine. Just look it up. You know, if you guys, if you haven't done this with your partner, look up your personality types, look at uh, go to personality hacker, look at the car model and compare notes. That's pretty cool. And, um, 
you know, start to look into your personality types. There are some resources that compare certain types to one another. Um, and really then just go into like the love languages and compare notes and all those things. And then have those conversations with one, one another to confirm or deny certain feelings about certain things. Cause once you drill into the details, it gets really satisfying. So, and it only makes life better. It makes your relationships better. It makes sex better. It makes uh, all of these connections that you want to have in your life that are a basic human need to have connection and relationships and, you know, sexual satisfaction essentially are all basic human needs and we need to work towards nurturing them and developing them with our partners. And when we're out looking for someone, it's about giving enough room to learn about someone so that you can genuinely learn whether or not you like them and not just dismiss them because they're an INFJ, right? That's just, that's not fair. It's not fair to INFJs. They're pretty cool sometimes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's it. Uh, all done talking about relationships for now. I've been thinking about doing a separate course all about relationships to really break it down into more specific detail, but you know, we'll do that some other time. I'm definitely going to be talking about uh, career stuff in the future. I'm going to talk about talking to your clients. Um, there are a million different usages for this stuff and talking about individual types. So if you have any requests, please hit me up here on anchor, anchor.fm slash super MBTI. Feel free to leave a voice message or hit us up at super MBTI on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, and that's it. So go check out the free course, go to sign up at super MBTI.training. Go through the course. Let me know what you think about it. Let me know how you feel. And uh, that'll also put you on our email list and we'll be able to reach out with, um, you know, exclusive information and stuff and let you know when these podcasts go live. So that's it. Um, I'm going to try to put this out on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> but for now, uh, I'll catch you guys next time. Be sure to subscribe, leave some love, and I'll catch you guys out. Oh, and uh, please leave a rating and review if you can. That'd be fantastic. So take care of yourselves and each other, and I'll catch you next time on Super Myers-Briggs Turbo EX. Hey, thanks for listening to Super Myers-Briggs Turbo EX. We're going to help you with Myers-Briggs and all that fun stuff. And uh, if you want to jump straight into the advanced course, go to supermbti.training. If you want to check out my other shows, go to dopamine.life for mental, my mental health podcast, and you can go to cnote.show to check out the media podcast. So if you love this show, go to anchor.fm slash supermbti and leave some love, leave a review, share it with your friends, all that good stuff. And uh, most of all, thank you. Thank you for listening to Super Myers-Briggs Turbo EX. Okay.